Oh, what a wonderful day. Isn't it great? I had a chance this last week to experience a little bit about what we'll be talking about this morning. Uh, or it might have been the week before that. I had a friend of mine call me and say, Jackie, we need to go fishing. It's about time to go fishing. And I, of course, it's always about time to go fishing. So I agreed, yeah, we should go fishing. So three of us went fishing. Myself, Jason Richardson, and, and Ken Hutchinson, we all went fishing. I didn't know it was going to be a day of spiritual warfare, but it was. I should have known what we were headed into when they came to pick me up, and it was a kind of cold, blustery day that day, so I have my jacket on, and I come walking out, and they're in T-shirts. And I thought, man, last time I was out on the water, it was cold. But I figure they know what they're doing, right? So I kept my coat. That's the only smart thing I did all day. I kept my coat and I, I went fishing with them. And we got down on a salmon reservoir and we put the boat in the water and them two started shivering. And I sat there and I'm nice and comfy in my coat. Warm and toasty. The wind was howling. 20 miles an hour blowing across water, but... All that wind was blocked with that coat. Man. Again, that's the only good thing that happened to me all day. And we start fishing. Now, I learned a long time ago, you better start fishing just like everybody else. Because playing catch-up is a drag. So we're all throwing worms in the water. Now, this is how I fish. For you guys who are thinking... I didn't know Pastor Fish. I'll ask him to come. No, don't do it. Because you cast in the water, I'm putting my worm right on top of you. So Jason cast out, and I'd throw out right on top of him. He'd look at me. What are you doing? He says, man, you cannot catch a fish first. It's wrong. That first fish jumped right over my hook onto his. And he brings in the first fish. Then his smile. Now all of a sudden he's not cold anymore. My jacket's looking like less of, a, of a, an advantage. And he casts out again. Hook hits the water. The worm don't even get a chance to shudder from the cold before the next fish takes it. He's got two fish now. Meanwhile, Ken is sleeping in the boat. He's over there sleeping. His worm ain't even in the water. It's dangling over the water thinking how thirsty it is. It's like a drink of the water, but it just keeps banging up against the side of the boat. And a fish took it. All of a sudden, Ken wakes up, but he's got a fish. All day long. I had one worm. I saved so much money from not having to buy multiple buckets of worms. One worm all day, no fish. Truly, it was a, had to be a spiritual battle, right? That's the only way I could justify such a crazy occurrence happening. So I lost six to nothing. But I was warm. I'm going to hold on to that. I was warm. 
I was warm. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open up to Ephesians chapter 6. And as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, as we've been discussing it, it's been exciting to see as this breaks down. All of Paul's epistles break down the same way, guys. Almost right down the middle. Doctrine the first half, duty the second half. In the beginning, the first three chapters of, of Ephesians, we talked about our wealth in Christ. Chapter 1 through 3, the wealth that we have. Then 4 and 5 and 6, we've been talking about our walk. Since we have this wealth, since we have all these great things in Christ, then remember, by the way, he called us fishers of men, not fishers of fish. He calls us then to walk as he walked. To walk in unity, to walk in love, to walk in in purity. And here we see he calls us to walk in victory. We also, as we look at this last part of chapter 6, this can be broken down to be our warfare. But really, I like to see it as our walk of victory. Because here's what we don't understand so often in our lives. Folks, we're not fighting for the victory. The victory has been decided. We are fighting from victory. But we forget that sometimes. And here, Paul wants to remind us of that in Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll be picking it up Ephesians chapter 6 beginning at verse 10 he says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord be strong in the Lord first thing we got to understand if we're going to walk in victory is the victory doesn't have anything to do with us doesn't have anything to do with our abilities it doesn't have anything to do with the good things we can do It has everything to do with our relationship to Jesus Christ. Our relationship to God. Because He flows through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He brings that strength into our life. We have to decide though, I'm going to be strong in the Lord. That's a difficult choice to make. Because most of our lives, if we're honest, we spend our time being strong in ourselves. Learning how to, to be the best me I can be or, or you know, striving in, in my prayer life, in my, in my study, in my devotion. All those things, trying to accumulate personal strength. But listen, if we're going to walk in the victory, we have got to understand that that victory comes in the strength that is in the Lord, not in me. It's not in anything but That relationship with him. Be strong in the Lord. And then it says, and the power of his might. Now power is the the proper application of might being strength in reserve. So it's the, I'm going to be strong in the Lord. And I'm going to be looking for that reserve of strength that God has. And I want to apply that reserve of strength that God has in my life. As I walk, as I live my life for Christ. Our life for Christ is, is supposed to be something. It's supposed to look like something, right? People should look at us and say, I want to be like them. I want to have that kind of love. I want to I experience that kind of caring within the body. I want to I see the reality. The world is crying for the reality of a relationship with God. We preach it. We've been preaching it forever. But preaching it ain't living it. There's a long ways from talking the talk to walking the walk. And if we're going to walk the walk, it's got to be in his strength, not mine. That means I 
submit myself to the Lord. And I lean on his strength to get me through. You guys remember Gideon? Gideon in the Old Testament. Gideon was an interesting fellow because the first time God speaks to Gideon, he calls him a mighty man of valor. And the truth is, Gideon's a big chicken. He's hiding down in a hole. He's thrashing grain in a hole. Now, fortunately, there are farmers here who understand that's a bad idea. Because when you throw the grain up in the air in a hole, the wind's not taking the chaff away. So you know how you get the chaff away when you do it in a hole? It sticks to you. You become a giant ball of chaff. And then you climb out the hole and shake it off. Why was he doing that? Because enemies were all around looking for people who were thrashing grain. And if they saw you thrashing grain, they'd come steal it. So he didn't want to get in a fight. He didn't want to. He just crawled down in a hole. And God came to him and said, get in. You're a mighty man of valor. Now, for all of us, guys, for every single one of us, we're like Gideon. And here's how we're like Gideon. God has called us to walk a walk, to perform a job, to be something in the body of Christ. And then he says to you and I, I'm your strength for being what you need to be. It's not about you. It's about me. So you've got to press into me and you'll find yourself fighting from victory, just like Gideon. God said to Gideon, Gideon, I'm going to use you, and I'm going to use you to deliver my people from the Moabites. Here's how you're going to do it. Put out the call for anybody who wants to fight. So that's what Gideon did. 30,000 people came. And slowly God began to whittle that number down. It was 30,000 against 300,000. Then it was 10,000 against. And then it was 300. All the while, God was saying to Gideon, I'm your strength. I'm your victory. You just trust in me. Now, if I was Gideon, I would be thinking that God had some super weapon that he was going to have me use. And I'm going to come around the corner and give these 300 guys, you know, M16A2s, and they're just going to rip these people apart. No, what did God give them? A trumpet? And a lantern. Now when's the last time you thought about that for home defense? <laughs> this is what I need for my home defense. I, I'm not going to keep that 45 under the pillow anymore. I don't have one of those. But for those of you who might. I'm going to keep a trumpet and a flashlight. That way the bad guy can see me. <laughs> and he can hear me. But that's what God told him to do. And they put that, lamp, that, that, that torch, they put it in a jar. And they went around the camp, snuck into the camp. And then God said, blow the trumpet, break the jars, let the light out. And as soon as they did that, that army all wiped itself out. They freaked out and started to kill each other. And those soldiers didn't have to do nothing else. But be obedient to God and be strong and courageous. To be obedient to what God said to do. They already, the victory was done. As soon as God said, it's yours, it was theirs, wasn't it? They were fighting from victory, trusting in the Lord and his strength. And that's what the call is in Ephesians 6.10. 
Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor. Now, this means that there is something, there, there's an, uh, several, actually seven pieces of equipment that God expects you to wear. All seven. Not, you know, well, you know, Lord, I don't like the sandals. They don't go. No, he wants you to wear all seven pieces. He wants you to put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to defeat the wiles, the methods of the devil. Now listen, the devil used to be a football coach. This is how I know the devil used to be a football coach. He went to the old school of football coaching, which is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I made a, a living out of doing that. How did I do it? I run play number one. If you didn't stop it, I can tell you what you're going to see next. Play number one. If you still didn't stop it, I played games. I didn't even get to play two. Because they couldn't stop. Play number one. The devil has three plays in his playbook. Three plays. He's been using them since the Garden of Eden. Why does he only have three? Because they work. Because they work. But if we put on the whole armor of God, then we'll be able to stand against what the devil wants to do. What are those three plays? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Scripture lays out for us. John writes them down to us in 1 John chapter 2. Here are the three plays. The lust of the flesh. Think about it. When we go to the Garden of Eden in the fall, in the book of Genesis, what do we read? We read Eve saying that she saw the fruit... And that it was good. She saw the fruit and that it was good for food. The, the, the lust of the flesh. Oh, yeah, that looks good. That's got to be good, right? It's got to be good. Looks good. Got to be good. The next thing that we see her doing in the lust of the eyes, she says, oh, it's, it's so pleasant to look at. It looks good. It's pleasant to look at. And then it's desirable to make one wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Same three plays he runs in your life, my life, everybody else's life. Tempting us, drawing us away from what God wants to do in our life with those same three plays. And then he goes on to tell us in verse 12, For listen, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Don't lose this concept. Your battle, your spiritual battle is a wrestling match. Not artillery. You're not standing far away. This, we're talking old school battle. We're talking about face to face. You can see the sweat on their brow. They see the sweat on your brow. Armed with just that armor that you have in a, in a battle, in a wrestling match. And a wrestling match in ancient Greece was a bad thing to lose. Because the guy who lost got killed. So... Nobody liked to get pinned. The concept is that same way with the, this battle. And not only is it a wrestling match, face-to-face -face wrestling, but it's not against flesh and blood. A lot of times, guys, we look around and we think about the people who are causing us grief in our life, and we're focused on the flesh and blood. And our battle's not with them. Your battle is not husbands with your wives, wives with your husbands. Children with your parents, parents with your kids, 
employers with your employees or employees with your employer. Your battle's not with that person. What's going on, what's causing you grief, what's stressing you out, what's wearing you out is a spiritual battle and you are not equipped for it. You want to be equipped. You want to have the armor put on. You want to be prepared to be to do what God is calling you to do. So understanding that for a long time, I look at my wife and I think if I could just fix a few things here, everything would be okay. But the truth of the matter is my, my frustration, my problems didn't have anything to do with her, had everything to do with spiritual issues that I was dealing with. And I was not equipped. I was focused on the wrong person. My wife's not my enemy. She's my partner. The enemy is something deeper, something behind all of those things. Here's what he says it is. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a ranking of angelic beings that are working behind the scene, that are a part of, a real part of, messing things up in life. Now, a lot of times we will verbally assent to that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and we give the devil credit often for things, especially for things he hadn't really done. The devil can only be in one place, and I doubt he's here. He's got other places to be. He's over in the, been in the Middle East for years, just messing stuff up out there. I don't know, but I don't think he's here. But he does have minions. He does have principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, demons, angelic hosts that are fallen, that are working behind the scenes that we cannot see. And we'll assent to the fact that we believe it's real, but then we don't take the time to make sure that we're putting on the armor of God so we're prepared to do battle. Why? Because we're looking at that person I have a hard time getting along with. I'm looking at that, that person I disagree with or that person I have an argument with, and the scripture says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There's something else going on. And we need to be properly equipped to do what God's called us to do. And that's what this chapter's all about. We've heard this chapter maybe, if you've been coming to church most of your life, hundreds of times. But we need to not just be those who hear the word, but doers also, to take the word and apply it. To say, I need to do this. I need to put this on. I need to make this a part of my life. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. How many times have you heard that phrase? To stand. To stand. Having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. He wants us to make a stand. He wants us to be counted. He wants us to be part of God's family. Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father, which is kind of an important deal, right? Because the Bible lays out for us in John chapter 14 that there is one way to have a relationship with God. 
Not 50 ways, one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I believe the word of God to be utter truth. So either I accept that there is one way and it must be through Jesus Christ, or I throw the whole thing out. The Lord never laid it out for us that we could take bits and pieces of it that we like. Oh, I really like all these nice promises and all these good things, but I'm going to throw out all these other things that don't apply. It's either true or it's a lie. If it's true, then we're accountable to live our lives according to the truth. Amen? Amen. We want to live our lives according to that. So listen, that's what the word lays out for us. We want to stand. We want to stand for the Lord. We want to stand for something. We want to be who God's called us to be. So he says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth. Having girded your waist with the truth. And we'll break down and take a look at these seven pieces. The belt of truth. Or for some of us, the suspenders of truth. (laughs) It's all the same. It holds up everything else. The, The way that the soldier would gird up, everything would be attached to that belt of truth. His sword, everything in his clothing that he wore beneath his armor would be girded up into that belt so that he can move freely and not be restrained. And that matters when you're in battle. you got to be able to move. So we want to have this belt, this belt of truth, and we want to have it applied in our life. So what does the scripture say about that? Listen, in, uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And in John 14, 6, we just talked about that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So we have the truth of God's word being belted held together by the truth of God's word. But we're also called in Ephesians to be truthing in love. That means we're called to walk that truth. Not to just see the words on the page, not just to say, yeah, that's nice and that's neat, but to realize I want to walk in truth. I want to walk how I'm supposed to walk. I'm girded to the truth of God's word. That equips me to be in the strength of God. Because I make the word of God that which everything in my life is attached to. Is the word of God that important to you? Is the word of God truly your belt so that your life is directed, led, guided by the word? Because it's this word that says they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. It's this word that says God is love. And, and so we ought to love our brother even as God has loved us. It's this word also that says be holy as I am holy. It's this word that says be perfect 
as I am perfect. Those are difficult things to attain to, but not untrue. They're truth. And that's what we need to be strapped in with. That I am strapped to the Word of God. The Word of God, guys, is different than than any other book. There's no other book like it. None like it on the planet. Lots of holy books. Nothing like the Bible. Nothing. 66 books written by 40 different authors over a 1,500-year period of time. Written on three different continents and three different languages. With one message. God's redemption of man. It sets it apart from every other holy book that speaks about man's ability to reach God. But the Bible is how God reached us. It's different. It's not the same. And then the the word of God is laid out in such a way that it lays out for us one-third, 30%, 33% of the word of God is prophecy. And the, the Bible lives by its own rule. If you're wrong once, it's all wrong. It's not wrong. Just the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, it, are the, the likelihood of them coming true are, are incredible. <clears throat> what does all that mean? That all means, God, the, the word of God is amazing. Yeah. It's not just another book. I'm blown away just by how many manuscripts, ancient manuscripts of the Bible there are. Ancient manuscripts? Yeah, you guys know Homer's Iliad, right? There are 643 manuscripts that have been found, ancient manuscripts of that story. 24,970 of the New Testament. The next closest to the Bible is the Iliad. Romeo and Juliet, did you know that in the ancient writings of Romeo and Juliet, which is not, by the way, that old, there are three different endings? Which one was the one Shakespeare really wanted? We'd have to ask him. We're not going to be able to do that today. But in the Word of God, we have 24,970 manuscripts of the New Testament. The New Testament that you're holding in your lap. Well, Jackie, you know, the Bible was brought together at the Council of Nicaea, and Constantine did all this stuff. Listen, before the Council of Nicaea, the Bible was already together. All the Council of Nicaea did was say, yeah, we're going to keep using what we're using. And I can go to all the early church fathers before the Council of Nicaea, and I can show to you in their quotes of their messages the New Testament that you hold that they were preaching. Polycarp. Maybe you don't know Polycarp. He was a follower of another guy. You'll know him. John the Apostle. We have the messages they taught, the things they said. It's what we're reading. It's what we're studying. It's the truth. It's the truth that holds up everything. The waste of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. This is that, that which protects the heart and the vital organs. That we would place that where it needs to be for it's not my righteousness, it's God's own 
righteousness. And how did I receive that righteousness of God? When He who knew no sin became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that what the Word of God lays out for us? That Jesus, He did all that for me. I'm falling apart. Jesus did all that for me. He bore my sin. Does this sound like a good trade to you? He bore my sin so that I might be able to put on a breastplate of righteousness. And that righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, protects my heart. It keeps my heart from being damaged. It keeps my heart from being wounded. Because it's His love, God's love for me, that protects me, that protects those vital organs. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 7, it says, But what things are gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Listen, if I'm walking around in my own righteousness or self-righteousness, that's righteousness by my own works. And that's not standing in the strength of the Lord that's standing in my own. I need to stand with His righteousness that's applied to my life by faith. That I trust God. That I believe God. I put my hope in Him. And He clothes, He protects my heart. He became sin so I could become right. And that governs that, that watches over, that takes care of all of our vital organs. And then he says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. we got to put on our war boots. The war boots for the Roman was called a caliga. It was a a sandal that would strap up above your ankle, the back of your leg, about mid-calf. And the sole was cleated. With nails. It's very close, very similar to, to a baseball player wearing steel cleats. Or a football player wearing cleats or soccer player wearing cleats. It gives the footing that is necessary for the battle. Because let me tell you, if you're running out in a battle and you're about to do this, have this wrestling match and the area around you You're standing in dirt. You need to have the proper footing that's going to grab a hold of the foundation and keep you standing. But what happens so often is our feet aren't shod. And we slip and fall and we slip and fall and we slip and fall. And we're not able to to attain the victory that God's already given because... Our feet aren't shod with the preparation. That word preparation means the foundation. A foundation strong, anchored into the ground, that foundation of peace. What do we have from the gospel? The Bible lays out for us in Romans 5.1. Listen, 
Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. At one time, we were enemies with God, at war with God. But when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we receive the free gift that his son gave. We have peace with God. We are at peace with him. No longer in the battle, no longer against fighting against the Lord, but fighting from victory. We establish that by having that, that relationship that God wants us to have, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. But in John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I want you to think about that for a minute. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, I give you my peace. Not some intangible peace, the peace Jesus had. You remember when they were on that boat and it was being tossed about in the waves and Jesus was crashed out sleeping in the bottom of the boat? Everybody else freaking out? How could Jesus sleep? He had peace. What do you have peace? God's in control. All this chaos going on around me is God moving, working in my life. And Jesus implicitly trusts the Father. So he had peace. And he said, I give you that peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world give do I give it to you. That means I'm not going to give it and take it away. It's yours. It's yours. Shod your feet with it. The peace of God, the trusting, trusting that God knows what he's doing, that God has a plan, that God is is doing an incredible work. But many of us don't walk in that peace. We're not, we're not standing in that peace. Instead, we allow worry, the, the cares of this world, to cloud our mind, to cloud our eyes of the peace that Jesus has already given us. We don't trust the Lord. That's why we worry, Period. We don't trust God. We get let the, the cares of the world begin to choke out what it is God's trying to do or work in our life. And as that chokes it out, we slip. We fall. We weren't wearing the armor. We weren't prepared, ready to do the battle that God had called us to do. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it says this, Be anxious For nothing. Oops. Be anxious for nothing. That's pretty emphatic, right? Is there something where it's okay to be anxious about? No. That pretty much covers it all, right? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. So we cannot be worried. We can't be stressed out about all this stuff. But what we're supposed to do is in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, give it to the Lord. And what happens? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't be worried about everything. 
But pray about it all. Lay it all at the Lord's feet. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that God wasn't watching what was happening to you. Or that God's too busy to be concerned about you. For while he is a great, magnificent, humongous God, he cares about you on a personal level. And Psalm 139 says, he wrote out the path of your life the day you were conceived before you were born. He wrote out my days when there weren't any. And so when I face those things, if I want to experience the peace of God, I got to take it and leave it at his feet. And I got to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not mine. Because he gives me peace that what? Surpasses understanding. How many times have we said, but Lord, I don't understand. That's okay. It's biblical. It's biblical because he gives us peace that surpasses understanding. In the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Make your path straight. He will guide you. So I can have peace in all the chaos if I'll just strap on those war boots. And I say, I can dig into the ground. I got solid footing. I'm standing in his strength. Because I have the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the gospel brings into our life? The peace of God. Peace with God and the peace of God. So our feet are shod. Our heart is protected. Our waist is girded up with truth. Then we go on. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now the Roman shield was about, this particular shield is about four foot tall, a foot and a half to two feet wide. It was that which they would link together. Maybe you've seen in, in some of the movies, the shields would be linked together. They shoot arrows, they'd stand behind the shields and take all the arrows. And then they continue to move. Continue to move forward. He says, this is part of our armament And it is our faith. By faith, you stop the enemy from shooting them little darts in. Shooting those darts in your life. Shooting those flaming arrows. And the cool thing about the flaming arrows, they'd dip them in pitch and they'd shoot them. But when they'd strike those Roman shields, the shields were constructed in such a way that they would reach a depth within the shield that put out the fire. So... Puts the the flame out on the arrow. And you're still in the battle. You're still moving forward. And what does he tell us that that shield is our faith? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. If I'm girded up with the truth and I believe God's word is true and that's what holds me together, then I believe No matter how it looks, whatever I'm going through, whatever's happening is all part of God's plan. Then when the enemy fires them darts at me and says, what are you doing and how can you do this and and how can you stand? The shield of faith puts out the arrows. 
then you got to learn just to leave them alone. Right, babe? You got to leave them alone. Sometimes, after the battle, we walk around and pick up them darts and stick them in us ourselves. Reach down and pick it up. Yeah, you know, I'm really not very smart and I'm, I'm really not able to. Well, sometimes we're our worst enemy. We, we use the faith to, to break down the darts that the devil's throwing and then we'll pick them up and help them out. No, walk away from that. Be girded with the truth. Hold on to the truth. Live by faith. Listen, in uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. Where belief and trust meet. Belief and trust. I can believe some things but not be trusting, can I? Belief and trust come together, wrapped up together in that faith. And it quenches the darts of the enemy that he's trying to to shoot us with, that he's trying to do. So from this, we understand, we make the choice to believe and trust God. That the experiences that we're going through at this current time, the struggles that we face, are all working out for our salvation to develop our character, and to shine forth the light of Jesus Christ to others in our life. By faith, we believe. And the enemy cannot hit us with them arrows. Because the shield of faith stops it. The shield of faith breaks it all down. It goes on then to say, the next piece of equipment, take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, the helmet, the cassia, it, it protected the head, protected the brain, which is kind of important. Marginally more important for others than some, but still, it's important. I didn't really, I didn't really protect my brain all that well. You see what you get for that. We want to put on the helmet of salvation. Salvation, the assurance of salvation protects our mind. What's the enemy going to whisper into your ear? You're not really saved. You're not okay. Your relationship with God is messed up. God can't forgive you. God can't use you. God can't work in your life. What protects us from that whispering of the enemy? Helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation protects us. It protects our mind. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You guys remember this. We just went through it a little while ago. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourselves. There's no such thing as I will have a relationship with God because I'm basically a good person. It just said you are saved through faith and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. If you want to get into the fancy linguistics of it, it's in the perfect passive participle, which means it occurred once in time and it continues to have the same effect 
in your life from that time forward. You have been saved. You are saved. You will be saved all in one. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, not perish but have. How long does everlasting last? It's a long time, right? Everlasting life. Life that lasts forever. That's the assurance of salvation. We can put our hope and our trust in him. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That what God has begun, he will finish until you see him face to face. Is God going to stop working in your life? Is he going to say, you know what? You didn't have your shoes on. You fell down in the battle again. And I'm just tired of trying with you. No. Being confident that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until you're with Jesus face to face. Face to face. The helmet of our salvation protecting our mind. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 says, But let... But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, that hope of salvation. Hope. That's not, that word hope is not, I hope I got it. I hope, I'm not sure, but I'm hoping so. No, it's that hope that says, man, one day I'm going to be with Jesus face to face. That protects my mind. I look at all the chaos and the craziness in the world. It's all upside down, going nutty, everything going crazy. Craziness happening everywhere, all foretold in the pages of Scripture. And, and we start, every time we see these things happening, which is the whole purpose behind it, we start getting excited and looking for the Lord and looking for His return and hopefully continuing to do what we're supposed to be doing while we're here. And as all that stuff's going on, I don't get freaked out. I don't get freaked out because I know where my future is. No matter what happens, I will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And that keeps my mind, keeps me able to do what God's called me to do. How do some people get up in the morning and continue the fight? People that are going through sickness, people that are going through different challenges in life. How do they get up every day? The helmet of salvation protects their mind. It's not always going to be like this. It might be like this here. It might be like this my whole life here. But my whole life here is about this much of everlasting, right? Everlasting is a lot bigger. I'm not going to sweat the little stuff. Rule number one, don't sweat the small stuff. Rule number two, it's all small stuff. Don't sweat it. Have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. That sword of the spirit the scripture uses. That sword of the spirit is the Machaira. It's that Roman short sword, double-edged. It was one of the things historians say is the reason why Rome was able to conquer the world. Because of the sword and the way that they used that sword. And scripture lays out the same for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, listen to Moses' final words to the children of Israel. He said to them, Set your hearts... On all the words which I testify among you today, which you will command to your children and be careful to observe all the words of this law. 
For it is not a futile thing for you. It is your life. Moses telling the children of Israel, hey, the word of God is your life. Stay strapped to it. Utilize it. Make it a part of your life. You say the sword was offensive and defensive. The Bible lays out for us in Hebrews, doesn't it? Hebrews chapter 12, the same, or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That it is able to divide between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God. The word of God. You ever been in a situation you didn't know what to say? Don't know what to say and had the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and bring into your mind a verse, maybe a psalm, maybe a proverb, something that you knew you heard in church or read in the Bible and you're able to share that. And that's using the sword. What's the enemy? He comes to us and he says, oh, you know, the sword is archaic. It doesn't really have a a effect for us today. You know, It, it was good back then, but, you know, we've gone beyond that now. No, we haven't. If you think we're doing things different today than they were doing then, you're on crack. We're not. We think we invented the stuff we're doing now. You don't think it was happening in Rome. You don't think it was happening in Greece. The very exact same things. What do we, what do we learn when we study history? We learn that man doesn't learn anything from history. He repeats it over and over and over again. The wisest man on earth who ever lived, Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. Still going on. It's still happening. It still applies. Man, don't let the, don't let the devil make you take your sword away. Well, how am I going to rightfully use my sword? What do I got to do to be able to use my sword? I got to read it. Yeah, it's funny. If you set that on that nightstand next to your bed, you're not going to learn anything out of it. It's close. It's close. But you actually got to open it. And read it. You got to read it. If I'm going to use a sword, I got to read it. Then what do I need to do? I need to meditate on it. Psalm 119. Doesn't it tell us to meditate on the word of God? That's how we're going to be trained up to use our sword. Doesn't the scripture tell us to, to study the word of God? To study to show yourself approved, a workman of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of God. Hey, we want to do that. We got to study. We got to read. We got to meditate. Osmosis doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work between husband and wife, between mother and child, or between you and the Bible. You can rub it all over you. It's not going to pass into it. So we open it. We meditate on it. We study it. We want to be prepared to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the last piece, the seventh part, he lays out in verse 18. Praying always. How often? Oh, that's a lot of praying, isn't it? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance 
and the supplication for all the saints. Man, he wants us to be prayer warriors. Prayer warriors. Why? Prayer, guys, is, is just, it's necessary for me. There's nothing like that time in quiet prayer before the Lord. There's nothing like it. And he says, I want you to pray all kind of different ways. I want you to, I want you to be in intercessory prayer where you pray for others. I want you to bring supplications where you, where you're praying for yourself. I want you to give prayer of thanksgiving, thankfulness unto God. I want you to give prayer through songs, through psalms. There's lots of ways to pray. In fact, Paul would declare to you and I, pray without ceasing. Don't stop. An attitude of prayer. Attitude of prayer. But prayer is one of the most neglected things in a Christian's life. The word of God is probably second. We've got to utilize the armor of God. To use the things that God gives us. Praying in the Spirit, he says. In Romans eight twenty six. it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Praying in the Spirit. Praying continually. Praying persistently. Listen to what Jesus said. He said to ask, seek, and knock. That's persistence. And each one is increasing in intensity, isn't it? Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. He wants us to come before him. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. The understanding that God wants us to have. This is the attitude that we want to move with. And then Paul goes on to say, And for me, that utterance may be given that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Listen, it should comfort you that Paul struggles too. He says, hey, pray that I'm bold, that I say something when I know I need to say something, when I'm a witness, when I need to be a witness, that I stand. Pray for me, and I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you're going to make it, that you'll be a part, but that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. Tychicus brought this letter to the church at Ephesus. Whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your heart. So peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Man, we want to take the words of this book that talk about the wealth that we have in Christ and the way we ought to walk in respect to that wealth and learn to walk in the victory, putting on the whole armor of God, standing in His strength, being equipped by Him to be who we need to be, just as Paul, praying for one another, reaching out to one another, 
being schooled in the, in the word of God, living according to the word of God, being strapped up with all that we need. We can read it and it's words on a page. Or we can do it. That's the difference between talking the talk and walking the walk. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time we can come before you. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would not be the type of believers that spend all their time shining up their armor. But Lord, that our armor would be dented and scratched and scuffed because we are in the battle, standing, standing therefore in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. God, equip your church to be who you're calling us to be. And may we take the word of God and move it from words on a page that we verbally uh, uh, agree with to something that really challenges our lives, that we do the word, that we live the word, that we can be just a small example Lord, of who you were as you walked this earth. That we would have and bear a family resemblance. And imitate. Imitate God as dear children. Lord, we pray, God, help us to stand. Help us to be who you're calling us to be. Give to your church the strength that she needs to fight from victory. And bring, Lord Jesus, revival to us, to our hearts, that we live the truth. And we stop being about what we say and how good we can argue. And we start being about how well we walk. Lord, we ask you be blessed as we seek to honor you in our lives, lived out before you as living sacrifices. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.